This is the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Doctors in Ontario have rejected the tentative four-year agreement reached by, uh, with the province's uh, Liberal government. The Ontario Medical Association said 63% of its members who voted uh, have rejected the deal. Uh, the doctors' advocates say the system is broken, it needs fixing, uh, there is waste at the mid-management mid level, and uh, that more should be done to help the patients on at the front line and doctors and nurses at the front line level and uh, are sort of tired of being the scapegoats of you know all these doctors making all this money and ripping off the system uh, while the system is broken. First we're going to go before we bring uh, Kaminder on we're going to go to the phone lines 905-645-3221 star 9900 on your cell. Jerry is on the line. Jerry your comments on the doctors rejecting the deal. I'm 70 years old. I've raised three adult children. All of them played sports, broken bones, the usual stuff. I have a wonderful wife who has some problems. Uh, I was due to have a shoulder replaced. Uh, uh, I'm on a new medication, which solves that. My other shoulder's got arthritis. I got a bad hip, and it's not quite ready to be operated on. Ten years ago, I drove myself to the hospital, to Mac. Did some things, and they said, uh-oh, got a heart problem. Send me down to the general on the Tuesday. I'm home on uh, Sunday uh, with a quadruple bypass. I do not have one single complaint in, all, in my 70 years of growing up in Hamilton and using the doctors that we have. And I've had various doctors. I just seem to think that some people maybe com complain. We have the triage system. You go to the doctor, you got a problem, you're going to get looked after if your health is in, in jeopardy. But... I'm not going to complain because I got a bad hip, uh, and I think that, and I think the government we have the last ten years they've been in power have done absolutely nothing. Look at your show from Friday, and we were talking about the hydro and how we now have the highest highest hydro rate in North America, but the government doesn't seem to do anything. The taxes keep going up, and and you know they're taking it away from the doctors. I've talked to a couple of doctors that are neighbors. And it's the government. It's their program. It's not the doctors. So I just tell people, just don't blame the doctors because they're looking, barking up the wrong tree. Thanks for the call, Jerry. Much appreciated. Uh, we'll bring in uh, Kavinder Gill now, Concerned Ontario Doctors. Good afternoon, Kavinder. How are you today? I'm doing well, thank you. Thanks for taking the time to join us. Are you surprised by the outcome of the vote? Um, it was actually uh, what I had heard from my colleagues um, over the past month as well. Um, um, everyone seemed to be very dismayed and surprised when the contract was first brought forth, and uh, and and the content was uh, was was absolutely shocking. Uh, how can the doctors and the organization that represents them be so far apart on this issue on these issues? I think you have a, a difference between rank and file. I think um, somewhere along uh, uh, over the past several years, uh, the Ontario Medical Association has um, um, has not has 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 lost sight of the frontline physician, and uh, frontline docs uh, spoke loudly with this vote, uh, um, and they and they spoke for their patients. Um, so they, uh, I, I think the message was very loud and clear that they're not willing to compromise their patient's care and they're not willing to ration patient care. Uh, we were talking to Dr. Wally, president of the OMA, and she was saying, I was asking what happens now, and she says, well, they, you know, day one, start over, ask what the doctors what they liked, what they didn't like, and go back and, and start over again. Shouldn't they know all of that? I mean, haven't over the last two years you all been through that? I think 
with this vote uh, had, um, I'm, I'm very surprised that there was such a comment uh, from Dr. Wally. Um, they held road shows for the past month. They actually hired a PR campaign um, uh, to get the yes vote out uh, uh, with our membership dues. Nearly $3 million of our membership dues was, was, was spent by the Ontario Medical Association to aggressively sell the yes vote. Um, which was what angered a lot of frontline physicians because we we were shocked and dismayed that our own professional organization wasn't presenting a, a balanced view. That's all we wanted from them, and it took a superior court judge ruling to get a balanced view. It took a petition of 3,000 doctors within 24 hours to get a balanced view, and that's all frontline physicians wanted was to be presented with an unbiased uh, yes and no. This is what happens. This is what happens to your patient's care. This is what happens to the future of, of, of our health care with a yes and no vote. And that's sadly what was not presented by the OMA. So I, I'm actually very shocked that uh, Dr. Wally is now saying that uh, they need to uh, survey members because I think the message from members has been very clear. The message from members even at the general membership meeting, was, which was in itself historic. The first in 25 years was very clear. So why do you think they were selling the yes vote? I mean, you said there's a split between the rank and file, but what's in it for them that isn't for the rest? Uh, you know, when I asked the doctor about this, uh, she said she felt that this deal was the best that they could get considering the current economic conditions. That's just not true. Um, frankly, this this government is now um, paying for their scandals and their waste on on the back of our patients, and 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 they are they are failing their one provincial mandate, uh, which impacts every single citizen, and that's healthcare. Healthcare funding is a provincial mandate. Uh, there's only two provincial mandates: healthcare and education. But healthcare is the only one that impacts you from birth to death, and that's a provincial mandate. That should be a priority for this province. What's different now, Kavinder? What, what, you said that, uh, you know, obviously there was a split between the rank and file, but clearly, and, and you're obviously encouraged that the doctors did speak up. What's different now? Is there something different uh, moving forward now with the doctors and their thoughts in relationship with the OMA and, and how they deal think, with the government? I think doctors have had enough of the bullying by the government. I think doctors have had enough of the pressure tactics from the OMA. I think doctors have found a voice. Uh, I think frontline physicians have finally found a voice, and they're and they're saying enough is enough. They're standing up for their patients, and they're saying that we're not willing to compromise patient care. What is the what is the relationship like between the OMA and the government that they that they were encouraging everyone to accept this deal? So, um, one one thing that a lot of our patients don't realize is the Ontario Medical Association is not a union. Uh, however, it being a non-union is able to rand our dues. What that means is that all Ontario physicians do not have an option of whether they want to pay membership dues. We pay thousands of dollars to the Ontario Medical Association every single year, which amounts to nearly 60 to 70 million every year in mandatory dues, whether or not we feel that they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. And that, and, and, and that was something that was legislated to them by the government. Um, so if there was not that conflict of interest, we think that there would be a, a very different response from the Ontario Medical Association if they indeed had to work for their membership dues. Hmm. 
So this not only is uh, a discussion between the doctors and the Ontario government, but really what the role of the OMA is with four doctors. Absolutely. What, uh, there's been rumors floating around about some asking for the resignation of the president of the OMA. Your thoughts on all of that? I think a leader, um, I think what really makes a leader is someone who understands when it's time for them to step away. And, 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 and um, what I found very discouraging is that despite having um, a, a vote with two to one, a two to one result uh, um, uh, in terms of, of the vote being no, uh, that the president is coming out today all over media and, and saying that she's not sure what members want, uh, that, uh, that she's still talking about going, or going back to the table. When when docs have said that over 90% of docs said that they do not want to resume negotiations without binding arbitration, um, docs have been very clear that they want transparency from the OMA, and 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 it takes a true leader uh, to, to actually listen to their members, and 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 I frankly don't know uh, why our president is not listening to her members. If she's not listening to her members, who does she represent? Uh, she'll say that uh, she represents all of the people within the organization, and I guess not all agree with you. Uh, the vote was was strong, but I, I guess it was just over fifty percent that turned out. Actually, the voter turnout was amazing. The voter turnout was uh, was uh, um, uh, actually uh, amazing compared to the voter or, or the or the actual voter turnout in previous OMA uh, elections. And, 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 and what I think is even more important is that this was a, one of the first times, again, the general membership meeting was the first in 25 years. This was the first time a binding vote was given to frontline docs. Had this vote not happened, the initial referendum was not binding. And the vote was, the binding vote was only going to be amongst about 270 council members. Hmm. So here she has had thousands and thousands and thousands, over 20,000 doctors that have voted. How can she say that, that this voice is, is somehow less valued than the voice of, a, of, of some 200 council doctors? Do you, have to, do you believe you have to figure out the situation with the doctors in the OMA before you can move forward and figure out the situation between the government and the doctors? I think there are two, uh, two uh, parallel um, uh, fronts. I think, uh, I, I think our position, I think frontline docs have, have spoken. One thing to realize, uh, I think it's important to point out, that uh, the query membership that the OMA keeps touting out there, their number keeps increasing, but they haven't actually shown where this membership mem- members are coming from. Most of them are actually voluntary members of retired docs, medical students, or residents, etc., but the actual physicians are only twenty. They're, they're only, there's only twenty eight thousand practicing physicians, and and over twenty thousand of them voted. Hmm. Um, so so I think it's I think I think it's important for uh, for the government to realize that physicians will not be returning to the negotiation table without binding arbitration. That we're not willing to or to ration our patient care. And I think it's I, I think it's time for the OMA to wake up and finally listen to their members. Uh, unilaterally imposed fee cuts. It pretty much was the straw that broke the camel's back, no? Um, that and and the disrespect uh, that that the Liberal government has shown to Ontario's physicians. Ontario's physicians have always been committed to putting patients first. And the vilification of, 
of of um of um doctors in this province by this government has has just been has just frankly been sad. Uh, with this respect, you're talking about them saying that doctors, there's doctors making all this money, they're taking advantage of the system, that sort of mm-hmm. thing. Yeah, so there's been a lot of media spin. Um, what do you want the public to take away from this? What do you want the public, if, if, if someone from the public was to ask you, what do you want, what's the problem here, what are you looking for, what would you tell them? I want the public um, to realize, uh, so if I was speaking to my patients, I would want my patients to realize that 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 doctors are fighting for you. That that we're fighting for you. That we're that we're that we want you to realize what the government is trying to do to your healthcare system. They are systematically dismantling our public healthcare system. They've already um, taken away nearly a billion dollars since last year. Over a million, nearly a million patients in the province don't have a family doctor. Thousands of ORs have been permanently cancelled. Uh, surgeries have been permanently cancelled just to save on on the fiscal budget. These are things that are happening in our province. These are things that should not be happening. These go against the very Canada Health Act that Tommy Douglas actually developed Canadian Medicare on. This should not be happening. Lots will say this is about the money that you and other doctors are making. This, that is a liberal spin. This is about the... the physician services budget envelope. From that entire envelope comes every single service that physicians provide to, to every Ontario in this province. It's, it's about patient services. So what happens now moving forward, doctor? Uh, you know, uh, obviously the doctors have spoken, they've made their point, the deal is rejected. Uh, but considering where you are at with the OMA and the government, and, 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 and it is obviously a small victory for doctors, I'm assuming at this point, but, but how do you take this and move it forward? I think it's uh, important uh, uh, for, for the Ontario Medical Association, so for but Dr. Virginia Wally to start listening to frontline docs. I think I, I think uh, frontline docs have had enough over over what's been happening over the past year, and they've been very loud and clear with their vote. And it's and and as a leader, she has an obligation to listen to her members. So I think this should be a real wake up call, not only for the Ontario Medical Association president, but also for the executive of the board. How long before you and the government are together talking about another deal again? You've been two years without one. Obviously, so that this is one rejected. Entirely reject- up to this government. The doctors are more than willing to come back to the table. We want to reform healthcare. We want to make um, healthcare optimize healthcare so that every do- uh, every dollar able to have the impact that it can have. But that can only happen if we're on a level playing field. You have seen what's happened over the past year without binding arbitration. Every every essential service in this province, uh, be it nurses, um, firefighters, uh, uh, security uh, guards in prisons, etc., uh, anyone that doesn't have the right to strike has the right to binding arbitration to allow for a fair dispute mechanism. Doctors are the only essential service that are that are being denied this very fundamental right by this government, which 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 we should be asking why why are doctors as essential services being denied this right because we've been denied this right the, or the government has been able to abuse its power and make cuts to patient services. 
Dr. Kavinder Gill has been with us, concerned Ontario doctors. Of course, doctors in Ontario have uh, rejected the tentative four-year agreement reached with the uh, province's Liberal government. Uh, Doctor, thank you very much for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Thank you for having me. You know, it's it's interesting. Lots have asked how we got to this point, and uh, many will say that doctors are they they're too busy they're they they don't organize they don't uh they don't chase this stuff they're they're it's not what they're it's not what they're in business to do they're in business to run their practice and help their patients and when you get to a point where uh even the organization that is that is there to represent them are not representing doctors, you have to ask what's going on. And I think for the longest time, doctors have stayed relatively quiet on, on the issues and, 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 and frankly, they're tired of having their toolbox raided. And they're tired of hearing the heat from patients like me who are wondering why I can't get a physical this year or why I have to wait another eight months until I'm officially at two years. And it, it just seems very odd that the OMA uh, is now saying, well, we've got to, you know, canvas our members and, and find out exactly what they liked and what they didn't like about the deal. Well, what have you been doing for two years? And again, you know, in the win government, I think the squeaky wheel gets the grease. The squeaky wheel and the vote gets the grease. And teachers' unions have militant leaders, which put the boots to the government. Meanwhile, you know, and they're doing this in, in oh, it's, it's all for the kids. It's all for the kids. It's all for the kids. And meanwhile, your kids are losing stuff. They're losing programs. They're losing extracurriculars. Well, this isn't about that. This is about the dollars that are used on the frontline services to run these practices. And the, the government has painted a picture of a couple of people who've abused the system, who are making way more than what they should be making, and, you know, a, a small percentage of. And they're taking it out on the frontline doctors and nurses and you, the patient. But be, and, and because they're not making big headlines until now, because they don't have a, an aggressive leader kicking the tires all the time, the Win Liberals is, oh, no, everybody thinks the doctors are rich. They'll just let them go. They'll just let this continue. No one's going to care. No one's going to ask any questions. No one feels sorry for the doctors. Well, it's not about the doctors. It's about the patients. And the patients are finally realizing it's not really the doctors. It's the system they're forced to work in. And, you know, how many times have we talked about the local lens? The local health integrated networks. And when a doctor, for our concerned Ontario doctors, can't even tell me what exactly they do or what the purpose has been over the last several years. And what's the benefits? What are we getting from it? It all sounds good. Let's, let's organize a group and we'll do this. We'll try to get everybody, to, well, it's, but it's not happening. We'll integrate everything together. We'll break down the silo, not happening. No silos are being broken down. 
And the doctors are saying it's a waste of money at the mid-management level within the system. Bureaucracies that are set up that sound good and get votes but really don't do anything. And again, very odd that the OMA is just rubber stamping it and saying, yeah, docs, sign this, move on. And the docs are saying, you know what? You're not fixing the problem here. We have no input on what's going on on the front lines. Sound familiar? Sound like the electricity file? All lots of great ideas, but no real due diligence, no business plan. No economics. You know what? I'd like to open up a great big chain of video stores. Hey, that's a good idea. Go blow your money doing it. Not really doing the research to find if we're getting big bang for our buck. Or, as the case of a video store, the industry's even warranted anymore. They're great at spending your money They're not very good at telling you where it goes. Ask the Auditor General. Ask the Auditor General what this government's like when it comes to being efficient with your money, doing due diligence. Lots of great ideas. Heart is in the right place. I love Grandma Wynne trying to save the life of her granddaughter. But I don't need an activist. I need someone who knows how to budget. Someone who knows how to fix this and get the most out of that. Rather than making everyone broke trying to fix it. You know, the PC said the other day in regard to electricity, we could hit the same goals, wouldn't cost you near this much. Why can't we have that? Ontarians want the best. They love the environment. They want to take care of their grandparents and their kids. The environment and the healthcare system. But why does that mean we have to rubber stamp everything and not look at more ways to make it efficient within the government? Not the frontline workers. We've been cut enough. You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML. Doctors in Ontario have rejected the tentative four-year agreement reached with the province's uh, Liberal government. The OMA said 63% of its members who cast ballots have rejected the deal. To talk more about all of this, leader of the Ontario Progressive Conservative Party, Patrick Brown, is with us now. Hello, Patrick. How are you today? I'm very good, and uh, great to be back on your show. Thanks for taking the time. We appreciate this. Uh, can we ask you what you're doing on a Tuesday afternoon in the summer? I'm uh, down at uh, AMO, the Association of Municipalities of Ontario, meeting with uh, municipal leaders uh, from around the province in beautiful Windsor, Ontario. All right, so your thoughts on the doctors rejecting this deal? Are you surprised? No, I'm not surprised, and, and frankly, I'm proud of our province's physicians for standing up uh, against uh, a bully. You know, Eric Hoskins bullied the OMA into this. Uh, a, frankly, uh, the way they, the Liberals run this entire negotiation uh, has been disappointing. You know, it started with Eric Hoskins leaking physician salaries, but doing so in a way that was misleading, that was a misinformation campaign, and frankly, lies. that included their overhead, their rent, their secretaries, uh, the, any of their costs associated with their practice as part of their salary. And, uh, and he tried to do that to, 
uh, to disparage physicians, to get the public against physicians. If you use the logic that he used and included overhead in terms of staff salaries, the highest paid physician in the province would actually be Eric Hoskins himself, because mm. he's got all uh, his ministerial staff at, uh, at Queen's Park and, and his three offices and his driver. You know, rather than disparage the physicians, um, what I would have hoped for is that you would have had a health minister willing to talk to the doctors and say, you know, what are, what are the solutions? Um, how can we, how we, can we improve health care in Ontario? Instead, he put, towards the, he put forward a deal that would have asked them to ration care so no new funding for new Canadian citizens, despite the fact we have 150,000 new patients a year. They're out of luck. It doesn't matter that they're a Canadian citizen and in Canada, no care for you. Uh, new aging, uh, the new aging population, the more complicated uh, health issues because of an aging seniors population, no funding for that. You know, and so good on physicians to say, no, we're not going to turn away sick people. We're not going to turn away people from our waiting room. You know, that's not how we do it in Canada. That's not how we care for people in Canada. Surprised that the doctors and the organization, the OMA, that's there to represent them are so far apart on this or seem to be because they actually recommended the doctors take this deal. Well, I think the OMA uh, felt bullied and and they put out uh, a statement on their social media saying that, uh, um, you know, essentially that, that they felt uh, because of two years of unilateral cuts and attacks by the government that they they had run out of options and they agreed to a bad deal. Um, I think obviously uh, that won't happen again. Uh, they, they know that physicians um, will never accept a deal that tells them to rush and care. Uh, the, the the fact that that they wanted doctors to agree to turn away patients um, is frankly unCanadian. So, what is the solution here, Patrick? The doctors say that uh, that there's a lot of waste at the at the mid management level within the organization. They question Lynn's. What is the solution here? Well, they're absolutely right. The way Eric Hoskins and Kathleen Lynn have invested in the bureaucracy uh, has been so wasteful. These Lynn's, hundreds of millions of dollars spent just to be a, a political buffer, uh, to have someone to blame. Um, you don't have it in any other province. Uh, this is healthcare bureaucracy created by the Liberals to avoid accountability. Uh, and rather than heavy administration, I would take every cent from that and put it into frontline care to physicians, to nurses. Maybe instead of running radio ads around the province saying what a good job they're doing, these vanity ads as auditor generalists that actually breaks our advertising rules, maybe maybe they could put the money from advertising into patient care. You know, it's just the priorities of Eric Hoskins and Kathleen Wynne are all wrong. Not to stray off topic, but since you brought it up, why are we running ads uh, talking about a federal, a federal Canada pension plan? Why I, I thought this deal was done. Why are we running ads about this? Well, there's a by-election in Scarborough, so you know the Liberals are trying to use your money, taxpayers' money, to promote their own agenda. And, and it's not just the, the federal CPP they're promoting with radio ads. Uh, they're promoting their health, health minister right now. They're running radio ads saying what a good job Eric Hoskins is doing. Maybe instead of running radio ads patting Eric Hoskins on the back, they could actually care for sick patients. So what happens now moving forward? I mean, you present a deal, the doctors rejected it, uh, even after the OMA says that perhaps they should uh, accept it. Where, where do you start now? I mean, haven't we known for two years what the issues are? Well, I think the starting point is we need a new Minister of Health. Um, it's a poison relationship. You can't have a, a Minister of Health spend six months disparaging physicians, spreading lies and misinformation, and then expect him to come back to the table. Um, you know, frankly, I think Kathleen Wynne needs to replace him, 
instead of applauding him. Uh, and, and I think whoever the new Minister of Health is, they should apologize. Apologize for the lies and the misinformation. It's unbecoming of the Minister of Health, uh, and we should never treat doctors that way again. But he is a doctor. How do we explain that? Well, you know what? Uh, I asked him in the legislature to name one physician in the province, one physician that supported his position, and he couldn't. Um, and, you know, I, I think uh, most physicians uh, are, are extraordinarily disappointed by him. Do you think this is a, a breaking point, a turning point? Uh, normally, doctors don't speak up. They uh, do their job quietly and, and go about their business. How significant is this vote, do you think? I think it's pretty significant. You know, the fact that we had hundreds of doctors do a protest march on university. Um, you know, doctors are so busy in their own practices that they don't have time for politics. The fact that they're standing up against Kathleen Wynne and Eric Hoskins, standing up against the waste and mismanagement they see, um, is quite uh, unique. And uh, I have to say, it's uh, you know, it's it's a turning point for Ontario that we finally have uh, physicians willing to, um, to 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 stand up. Patrick Brown has been with us, leader of the Ontario PC Party, talking about uh, the reaction of uh, doctors to the uh, current provincial deal and rejecting the offer. Patrick, thanks for the time and insight. Much appreciated. My pleasure. You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML. All right, the Burlington Skyway reopened yesterday following a police investigation that was resolved successfully. Uh, To talk more about this and what protocol is in scenarios like this, OPP Sergeant Kerry Schmidt is with us now. Hello, Kerry. How are you today? Uh, great, Scott. Thanks for having me. Thanks for taking the time to join us. I, I don't want to delve too much into the, well, I don't want to delve at all into the personal aspects of, of what happened uh, on the Skyway, but what can you tell us about what closed traffic yesterday? Well, I can tell you, it was it's a complicated scene, and uh, what we do as the OPP, we respond to crises all the time, and uh, they don't usually happen in big, high-profile situations like we saw yesterday on the Skyway that affected so many other motorists. But uh, when people are in crisis, uh, that's when uh, usually we are getting called. And, and sometimes uh, you know, other professionals are involved as well. And so yesterday around 4 o'clock, uh, like everybody knows, all the traffic came to a grinding halt on the QEW. And that was, uh, that was for, uh, for public safety, for our safety, for, uh, for the whole situation to, uh, to de-escalate. And uh, obviously we were dealing with uh, someone in crisis. And, and so our priority regardless of the situation is always public safety in all regards and uh, what we did up there on top of the skyway without the uh, traffic going by and, and people uh, uh, you know peering around and trying to take pictures and so on was to try to de-escalate the situation and just help someone who desperately needed help and uh, fortunately and with great delight i can tell you that around 6 uh, 30 or so we were able to uh, to bring that situation to a close, uh, the uh, the gentleman that uh, was in a crisis is getting the help that he needs. We brought in our resources to assist in that uh, portion. And, and for us, irregardless of the situation, whatever crisis this person is having, if we don't have the resources available, we will bring in support services either from within our organization or professionals outside the organization if they're uh, available uh, and timely in a way to, to assist us. And obviously, we had uh, a lot of help from our, our regional partners in Hamilton and all the officers down on the ground uh, directing traffic around the area. Fortunately, there was a, a detour and a bypass uh, on Eastport Drive, but obviously that cannot handle the capacity 
that the Skyway typically uh, will ha- will handle. And as you mentioned, a positive outcome, which everybody is thankful for. So I want to be the first to thank you and yeah. the others who, uh, who who worked on this situation. A lot of the time, uh, those people are forgotten as well. Uh, just tell us, what is the protocol when something of this nature happens? What do you do? Well, you know, we uh, we deal with these things on unfortunately, a pretty regular basis, and uh, we deal with them as uh, they come in. They're always dynamic. There's never two situations the same, and officers are trained in, in working through crises and through uh, issues and, and events. Again, typically, they're, they're not in such a high-profile location, and we're always going to go in there with multiple officers, so we have at least two officers going to any scene, if it's a house or a residence that we're getting called to. In a situation like this, obviously, uh, a lot more resources were required just to, uh, first of all, get to the scene uh, and find out what was going on, on t- up top, talk to uh, uh, any witnesses, and obviously, you know, try to make contact and have a conversation and, and find out what, the, what, the, what we can do to support this person uh, while they're going through the, the, the crisis that they're experiencing. And uh, it's never an easy situation, and we never know what we're getting, getting into, and we need to be re- ready for... Uh, for any kind of outcomes, and, and so as soon as we know kind of what we're dealing with, we're already talking to uh, support services and networks from within our organization to find out what kind of resources do we have available in terms of uh, de-escalation and, and communication and the negotiation that we can uh, employ to, uh, to assist with this. So we have resources all across the province, and we brought them in as quickly as we w- became aware of the, of the issue. And, and we actually brought in even personal and, and outside agency professionals as well to help us. And, again, timing is, is something that we are completely cognizant of, and we understand that there are people down uh, being, uh, being delayed on their, uh, their drive, and we understand the inconvenience that causes on them. But I can tell you from my position and my role as, uh, as uh, kind of the media relations, the, the amount of feedback I got from the public encouraging uh, the support and, and the strong response that we were giving to help this person uh, was overwhelming. And I just want to thank everybody for their understanding because sometimes it's difficult to be put in a position where uh, now they're being inconvenienced for something they're not aware of. And I, I just want to get the message out to everyone that's listening that if you were stuck in traffic, uh, you may have been uh, inconvenienced, but uh, certainly not uh, to the point or to the level that this person was having crisis, and uh, we really need to have some self-reflection on, on how fortunate we we all are, and we need to help each other out because we are this one great big community. We I think we all inherently want to help one another, and uh, and sometimes just having that patience and waiting for uh, that that help to uh, complete and run its course is all that we need, and we we thank everybody for their understanding. That was my next question. I mean, obviously, you're dealing with this incredibly serious, sensitive situation, which has your total focus, but you're also dealing with a major route in and out of southern Ontario. What is the reaction to motorists? Are they sympathetic? Can they understand what's going on? Or do you have sort of two of uh, situations on your hand with that? Well, yeah, I think it's a little bit twofold, because... For me, if I'm stuck in traffic and I don't know why I'm stuck in traffic, yeah. I'm just going to get hot under the collar and I'm going to be frustrated and I'm going to—I'll uh, be angry. But when uh, we try to get the information out as best and and, uh, and efficiently as we can, to let people understand what's going on. And 
from my response and my perspective, nearly 100%, all the, the feedback that I got was so overwhelmingly positive that uh, once people understand what's going on, it's all about knowing what's happening. And we're not going to tell you everything, but I will try to help you out and tell you as much as I can just to give you an understanding and to give you an alternate and to give you a detour route or, or some way that you can uh, be less uh, less uh, impacted by the situation. So, again, that's what I do through our social media, and thank you to you and for, uh, for all the other uh, media outlets that are out there trying to get messages out there to the community uh, to help them uh, avoid uh, unnecessary delays. But, again, uh, the over response was overwhelmingly positive, and, and I just appreciate that. Uh, from everybody, as much as it was tough to deal with, and I'm sure many people uh, missed uh, dinner or missed appointments. Uh, it, it, there, there's so much mm. more uh, to life, and I, and I and I know that once everybody understands the the scope of this situation, that uh, they were far more understanding and sympathetic to it. Lots of time, uh, police officers, EMS. Uh, the situation they're dealing with is a negative situation. It must make you feel good when the day finishes this way. You know what? It was beautiful. And uh, the fact that uh, we were able to, to de-escalate this and bring this to a, a beautiful, successful cl- conclusion, at least uh, the crisis, uh, the, the imminent crisis was, was, was uh, delayed or taken away. And now, you know, obviously there's still work to be done and, and mm-hmm. help that's uh, going to go forward in, in helping uh, the community and the public and the person that, that is in a crisis. And it doesn't matter whether or not it's uh, if it's a if it's mental health or if it's just uh, anxiety or if it's just uh, anger or an issue that's going on. We we want to be able to put the resources in place, and we're not always the resources that are there, uh, the appropriate resources that are there. And we will, if we're not the appropriate resource, we will make sure we get the right people in place to follow up and and make sure the continued care is provided to everybody who needs it. And that goes without saying, even to the person uh, that needs it and to the family and support around them and even the emergency workers that are there. Because I think it all affects us differently. And uh, I know the OPP is very strong in supporting their members, supporting the employees, and supporting the community that we are responsible for uh, patrolling and, and taking care of. So, uh, it really is nice to know that, uh, from a corporate perspective, uh, that there is a, a great conversation going on uh, across the country and even within our organization to uh, talk about issues and make sure that we are all in in a good space ourselves, personally and professionally, and so that uh, we can deal with issues uh, when they come up. And we certainly want to support our community around us that we serve. OPP Sergeant Kerry Schmidt has been with us uh, discussing the Burlington Skyway closure yesterday and, of course, a, pos- a positive outcome. Kerry, great job. Keep it up. Well, thank you very much. And thanks to all the emergency workers that we're doing. I wasn't on scene. And, and, and congratulations to everybody for, for the awesome work that they do every single day of the year. Kudos to the EMS. Thank you, Carrie. You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML. As we know and as we talk to Sergeant uh, Carrie Smith, uh, Carrie Schmidt rather from the OPP, uh, the Burlington Skyway closed yesterday. Uh, someone in a crisis situation. Great news. It was all resolved. Uh, to talk about these situations and and how we arrive at a successful conclusion. Oren Amate is with us, registered psychologist, docamate.com to find out more and on the line with us now. Hello, Oren. How are you today? 
I'm doing well, thank you. How are you? Good. Thank you for taking the time to join us. Uh, these situations often go wrong. What needs to happen in order for success? Uh, the number one thing, well, there's a few things. Number one is that the person has to have at least a momentary sense of hope. That's what really, you know, the number one predictor of suicide is the sense of hopelessness, despair. Things are never going to get better. So it's not trying to, you know, make them see, uh, you know, rainbows and butterflies, but just helping them see that, you know what, no matter how bad it is today, at some point, there's a very good chance it'll get better. So that's number one. Uh, the second thing is, during the conversation, the person has to feel um, not judged. And that has to be from the very beginning. You don't get people to open up. You don't get them to even you know, consider talking to you if there's any sense that they're going to be judged negatively in some way. Um, it's, it's, that's a key component of therapy, really, is to create a safe environment for the person to feel they can open up and, you know, and explore things that they don't feel like exploring or aren't able to explore, sometimes to the point of, I'd rather end my life now than trying to look at what I can do you know, to help myself. Hmm. Uh, you amazed that that was arrived at at that location? You mean that is a successful outcome? Yeah. Um, I'm I'm happy. I'm very pleased. You know, um, it's 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 a real toss up. You can never predict. It's impossible to to predict an outcome like that. Um, when a, when someone feels that desperate and you know so inclined to end it, uh, you know, you, you, it part it relies on or depends on on the skill of the person trying to reach out to them. But even then, you can have the most skilled person, and if the other person just doesn't see any chance of anything improving in their life, uh, even temporarily, uh, you know, even the best uh, person won't be able to stop them. Hmm. Uh, we were apprehensive about talking about this today, and when we brought Kerry Schmidt on, uh, Sergeant Kerry Schmidt from the OPP, you know, he didn't want to obviously talk about the personal case, nor did we. Um, is that the right? Is that the right approach? Should we be talking about it? Should we just shh, don't say anything uh, because we're worried that we're going to encourage others who may feel be feeling uh, the same way? It's tricky because there's a lot of debate in the literature where some says that you know talking about these things can kind of encourage people or can model uh, an unhealthy response to difficult situations. Whereas others say you know that's actually one of the myths of suicide is that talking about things is going to lead to people you know lead people to do it. So I think out of respect for any individual. Uh, talking about their particular circumstances, uh, you know, when it's not dealing with them directly, and if they don't, you know, want you to talk about it, I think we should back off. But as far as the idea of, you know, of distress, feeling overwhelmed, mental health issues, um, suicide, uh, I think that's a topic that we should be able to have. And it's a, it's actually a myth where people are afraid that if you're talking to someone, for example, who feels quite out of sorts, who might be thinking about, you know, some kind of drastic measure, uh, people are afraid that opening up and talking about it is somehow going to lead them to do it, and that's a myth. Um, if, you, so if it's talked about in the right way, that's, there's no evidence to show that it's going to, you know, encourage them uh, to, you know, to take the steps. Uh, obviously, uh, this situation lasted for about three hours. Uh, does timing say anything about this? Uh, what, what factor does that play? As you mentioned, every situation is different, but the longer you go, is that a positive sign? Uh, yeah, the longer the person's able to continue talking and maybe get out of whatever mindset that they're in mm -hmm. um, and maybe have that little glimmer of light, uh, that's very important. Um, yeah. It's, it's so difficult um, because, again, each situation is different. And I know of cases, and there's actually a very famous case, I'm not going to just out of respect for the person, I won't talk about it, but the person was talked down off of a famous bridge here in Toronto, um, not once, not twice, I believe it was four or five times, and um, within a week. 
and I mm. believe it was the fifth time or sixth time that they finally end up jumping. So, mm. you know, as positive as we can look at this, the reality is it's in that moment that they were able to get the person to see a different perspective and maybe some hope. But they might go home, depending on who they talk to, depending on how things happen, uh, depending on what their mental state is, you know, within days or weeks, we might find them sadly in the exact same place. It's really important that, uh, that a person feels a sense of support from others. Uh, you don't need a lot of people. All it takes is one person feeling that one person has my back, one person is there for me to help me in whatever way I need it, whether it's with money, whether it's advice, whether it's a shoulder to cry on. Um, you know, that's important to establish that. And sadly... Um, you know, if the person doesn't have that in their own life, we in, in society, and I say we, but it's in fact the governments, have failed miserably. And every time I have a chance, I just I implore people to do what they can to try to compel your local, provincial, or federal government to stop dropping the ball. There are not enough resources for resources, sorry, not enough uh, resources to help uh, people get what they need in these moments. Because if, if they don't have profess, uh, personal supports, they need to feel there's someone professionally that they can talk to and work things out and find more adaptive ways of dealing with these things. And the government has failed miserably in, in you know, paying for that. You were talking about the story uh, in which the person had tried several times. If talked down uh, and 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 the situation is de-escalated at that time, how important is it that the person at that time starts, you know, has to have the follow-through, has to, has to progress with this uh, positivity as opposed to ending up back there in a few days? Yeah, it's, it's crucial. There's nothing more important than that. Um, I mean, again, with the support, if they have some personal supports and they feel that instead of taking, you know, going back to the same place, I can talk to somebody else, you know, until I can get the, you know, the proper help that I need, um, that's a good stopgap measure. But there really needs to be follow through uh, because professional help like a psychologist or others can, you know, help a person stop engaging in uh, certain cognitive distortions um, and seeing things in ways that might not be realistic. And that unrealistic um, outlook can make it seem more bleak than, or make life seem more bleak than it really is, can make them feel that they have no um, inner resources to deal with it, and it might give them no other choice but, unfortunately, to end their life. So they need to get the tools. And in some cases, it's not about tools. In some cases, people have some debilitating mental health issues that, Mm. although therapy is good to help, it really requires some kind of medication. And um, again, we need the resources to help people find uh, whatever avenue of treatment is best for them. How do the rest of us view scenarios like this? Are we sympathetic enough? I don't think so because we still hear to this day that, uh, you know, the number one thing that people think of when they think of suicide is that person was weak. They took the easy way out. Yeah. You know, they're selfish. They didn't think of the people that they're leaving behind. So I think that uh, overall, globally, uh, there is a lack of sim- sympathy and empathy for people in these cases. Uh, having said that, there are very, very many people who volunteer their times and services uh, to help people out, um, even people they don't know, like um, volunteer s- services like the Distress Center that we have in various cities. Um, so there are some people who are willing to give and willing to help out and not judge. But, uh, you know, far more people, I shouldn't say far more, but very many people uh, do unfortunately make vulnerable people feel like they're alone and that they're weak and uh, weak-willed. Dr. Orrin Amate, registered psychologist, docamate.com to find out more. Doctor, thanks for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Thank you very much for providing that opportunity. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML.